0: You're listening to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Today, the electors meet for the Electoral College, and we don't know what's going to happen. There is a lot of talk in the media about the electors confirming Joe Biden as the president-elect, that is a possibility. Maybe this all goes out in a very anticlimactic way. All of the legal challenges that the Trump legal team brought across the country in various battleground states, all of the legal challenges from Republican attorneys general in Texas and elsewhere, having been declined a hearing by the Supreme Court of the United States, despite massive evidence of coordinated, widespread, significant, and sufficient voter fraud to give the 2020 election to Joe Biden, it may end up being that the 2020 election business results in Joe Biden being the president of the United States. I hope not, maybe not, possibly not. There still are avenues that can be pursued and may be pursued, but we shall see. In the meantime, I want to talk about a report that came out yesterday. Today is Monday, December 14th, 2020. And I want to read off for you the daily wire coverage of this. And the headline is from Ian Hayworth, December 13th, report huge data leak exposes chinese communist party members embedded in western companies and governments the article reads that an unprecedented major leak of official records has uncovered a register of 1.95 million members of the chinese communist party many of whom are now living and working all over the world including australia the united kingdom and the united states The data lists names, party positions, date of birth, national identification number, ethnicity, and, in some cases, their telephone number. As reported Australia's Sky News on Sunday, the database lifts the lid on how the party operates under President and Chairman Xi Jinping. The leak shows that party branches are embedded in some of the world's biggest companies and even inside government agencies, the outlet reports. Communist Party branches have been set up inside Western companies, allowing the infiltration of those companies by CCP members, who, if called on, are answerable directly to the Communist Party, to the chairman, the president himself, said Sky News' Sherry Markson. Quote, Along with the personal identifying details of 1.95 million Communist Party members, mostly from Shanghai, there are also the details of 79,000 Communist Party branches, many of them inside companies. End quote. Markson also inferred that this security breach would likely embarrass both Xi Jinping and some global companies who appear to have no plan in place to protect their intellectual property from theft. Now, the interesting thing here is the timing of it. This is the day before the electors meet and whether it will make a hill of beans worth a difference to the electors. Given the ties that Joe Biden and Hunter Biden and Joe Biden's brothers have had with foreign governments, for instance, China, for instance, the Chinese Communist Party's banks, that notwithstanding, we may just end up with a president of the United States of America who has deep ties, financial ties, financial incentives, and who has been paid to play by the Chinese Communist Party. It would be interesting, it would be exceptionally a relief if the electors, the Electoral College of the United States, recognized the threat that is inherent to the Chinese Communist Party possibly owning the President of the United States. It is also interesting how the media and Democratic politicians for the past four years went on and on about Russia and how Russia... Has potentially put Donald Trump in the presidency. They control him. Putin, in particular, controls Trump. There was no evidence of that, but there were years long investigations. There was hashtag the resistance. There was a concerted and coordinated effort within our government and across our mainstream media outlets to paint the Trump administration as illegitimate because Putin wanted. Trump to win. Where did all of that talk go with regards to China, with regards to Xi Jinping having paid Hunter Biden an exorbitant sum vis-a-vis the Chinese Communist Party's banking system? Where did all of that talk go? Well, it evaporated. But it is interesting to note how quickly the interest in foreign interference in our elections went away with a Democrat possibly benefiting from such. The point being that the Democrats want power. That's all they really want, and they don't particularly care how they get it. Also, the truth is that the left in the United States of America hates no one and nothing so much as Donald John Trump and anybody that voted for or supports him. If you have an affinity for the idea of Make America Great Again. That is a direct threat to the left's globalist agenda. Their progressive agenda is predicated on diffusing power throughout all of the world's governments. And this is not a new phenomenon. If you read The Internationalists by Una Hathaway, you will find that the plan by Western elites, Western intellectuals, and academics, and very wealthy people, and politicians who thought that they were very, very smart. The plan for a hundred years since the Woodrow Wilson administration has been to have a one-world governing body. Initially, that was the League of Nations, and then subsequently, when the League of Nations proved to be a kind of prototype that wasn't fully featured, we had the United Nations. Now, the United Nations, for the past hundred years, has done not a great deal of good. In fact, it's muddied the waters incalculably when it comes to figuring out what is right, what is good, what is justice, and it has gotten in the way as much as anything with this idea of world peace, which is what the League of Nations and the United nations were initially founded to create and to promote. The problem that intellectuals and elites found as they tried to hoist a one-world government comprised of a council of nations and their governing authorities, their representatives being sent to discuss and deliberate and delegate authority to the United Nations for deciding disputes and resolving disputes and dealing with crises, The problem that was encountered was that not everybody agrees on what is good. Not everybody agrees on what is true. Not everybody agrees on what fairness and justice actually mean. And so invariably, what you find is that the Western nations, in order to lift up the non-Western nations, for instance, China, had to compromise. They had to say, well, you know what? This is what I think, but what do you think? Let's listen to your opinion. Let's listen to your perspective, your predicate, which in the case of China has been since Mao Zedong, communism. Now China sitting on the Security Council is a puzzlement. Russia sitting on the Security Council is a puzzlement. The only explanation for it really is that you couldn't have world peace while also excluding Russia and China from a position of leadership. We gave them positions of leadership as a way of flattering them really and as a way of trying to diffuse the tension that might arise from them feeling like they had something to prove. Now, the idea here was that if we just gave them a warm and fuzzy feeling, if they were able to increase their self-esteem by having a seat at the table and being recognized as our equals, more or less, that that would in turn thwart their ambitions to territorial expansion. It would reduce their desire for aggressive war-making as a way of expanding their power. We would give them an outlet through the United Nations to work out their ambitions and to flex their national pride, as it were, and to discuss. Let's discuss, let's talk about your ideas for the world, for the government, for your people, for what you want to do, what's your agenda. But unfortunately, when you mix oil and water, they don't quite intertwine with one another as uh, some immiscible liquid. They don't mix. Water and oil don't mix, and neither do the ideas of communism and the ideas of the free market. They don't mix. Now, China has been able to propel its economic engine by adopting some free market ideas, by loosening its total absolute control over the economy there in China. But it has not completely relaxed its grip. It is by no means a free market system, even as it gives some freedom to individual people within China and finds that advantageous as it sees a reward it is willing to give some freedom to people, but the nature of communism being such as it is, Xi Jinping has worked those capitalistic features of the Chinese economy back. I think that we will find in the long run that China dabbled a little bit, experimented a little bit, they compromised themselves on their communist principles long enough to get a result, to get the economic growth that they felt they needed to achieve parity, and they were willing to do that because the ends do justify the means for them. Now, what are our ends here in America? What have been our ends for 100 years? Well, our ends were, at various times, To promote our national self interest, to promote our idea as Americans of what is right and what is good and what is fair and what is reasonable, to promote our idea of human rights. But those ideas of human rights and what is good and what is proper and what is just are predicated in the West, in the Western tradition, on the ideas of. Athens and Jerusalem. We built our idea of rationality in large part based on the tradition of the Greeks, the Greek philosophers, and after them, the Romans who emulated the Greeks and who embraced and internalized the Greek way of thinking and learning and processing things. We embraced the Roman form of government by and large, or we at least learned a lot of lessons from the history of the Roman Empire and before that the Roman Republic. And we embraced the the theology and the morality and the sense of virtue which came from Judaism and Christianity so that's why we call our values judeo-christian values we don't typically refer to our values as greco-roman values we refer to our values as judeo-christian because there was a specific set of commandments that god gave to the children of israel through moses on stone tablets he wrote it with his own finger on stone tablets and he said this is what's good don't do the These things, do these things. And when you are dealing with a foreign power, which has an entirely different set of ideas about what is right and what is wrong, what is permissible, what is good, it's not that they have a completely different human nature. They still have a human nature which knows instinctively the truth about God, whether that truth is suppressed, as Romans says. Paul writes in Romans that. Through the wickedness of men, they suppressed the truth about God that was plainly visible, plainly known, and thinking themselves wise, they became fools and their foolish hearts were darkened. So we have around the world multitudinous cultures, which have strayed in various degrees and various directions from the truth about God. And the truth about God really does dictate the truth about us, what we believe about God and who God is and whether there is a God and what kind of a God he is and his character, and what he said, and what he has done, and what he's going to do, what he's going to ultimately conclude this heavens and earth with in the end, what we believe about that necessarily alters and changes it fundamentally transforms our interactions with each other, our interactions with the world and the universe. It changes our government. It changes the way that we organize as groups. It changes our politics. And so when you deal with a country like China, which has a very different tradition, a very different history, a very different set of philosophies and cultural norms, when you introduce them into the global leadership scheme and you bring them up and you promote them and you prop them and you try and give them an equal standing at the table, what you will find is that they have very different ideas of whether human beings have any individual rights. And if they do have any individual human rights, what are those rights? You have the right to do whatever I tell you to do. You have the right to say whatever I tell you to say. You have the right to think and feel whatever I tell you to think and feel. And at the end of the day, in the Chinese tradition, especially under Communism since Mao Zedong, if the needs of the many require that you be destroyed, then that is what is right. That is the proper thing. There's this twisted idea of honor and community honor, and it isn't that community honor in and of itself broadly speaking, is twisted, but they have gotten it so twisted to the point that all that matters is the collective good as they see it. So the Communist Party will send infiltrators into every business, into every foreign government they can possibly reach, and they have enough people to spare. They have enough of a drive based on their idea of what is good and what is right and what is proper and what is desirable, that they are able to be very successful, particularly if our guard is down. Our guard has been down. And when I say that it's been down, I don't mean that every single person, every man, Jack, in the West, in America and Europe, has not seen the threat of a rising and aggressive and assertive China for human rights. But what I do mean is that there are enough people who are quick to shout any such concerns down as racist and as white supremacist or as Christian nationalism. There are enough people in powerful enough places shouting that talk down, those concerns down, that at the end of the day, we are effectively neutralizing our ability to counter this rising threat. Now, China Would like nothing more than having its ideology, its politics hoisted on the rest of the world. That's why they're colonizing countries around the world, in developing nations, in third world nations, and even sometimes in first world nations. So in this case, we may just wind up with a president of the United States of America who is a Manchurian candidate, quite literally. He is somebody who has been put there, has been selected by the Chinese. They like him. They want him. They celebrated openly when they thought that he had won, and they have a lot of interest in him going soft on their continued expansion. He doesn't have to actively support them in the sense of giving them everything. He just has to stand back and he has to neutralize America's power to check China's aggressive tendencies. He just has to stand back. That's all he has to do. And what it's like is, it's like a foreign army coming to a city, a walled city with high walls, and that foreign army pays a little bit of gold to the man who guards the front gate. And that man who guards the front gate in the middle of the night is being rewarded to leave the gate unlocked. He doesn't have to run through the city conquering his countrymen. He doesn't have to run through the city killing anybody who would resist the foreign army. All he's gotta do is unlock the gate and the foreign army will do the rest. Now this idea of nationalism has been very much in the conversation, the public discourse for the past four years with the rise of the Make America Great Again political philosophy as a slogan, it is not just a slogan, it is a slogan which encapsulates this idea that we should do what is in our national self-interest, that that is good. What we've been doing as a country under numerous administrations, in selling out our national self-interest without thought of cost, without thought of long-term implications, and with a kind of hubris that ultimately we are just that clever, we are just that smart, we are just that in control, that we can pull this back anytime we please, that was not good. That was not a wise choice. That was not a wise decision. We are choosing The wrong Holy Grail in Indiana Jones and the Holy Grail. You have the Nazis that want the Holy Grail as a kind of talisman and as a kind of magical uh, token that's going to help them to achieve world dominance. And you have the evil Nazi collaborator choosing the cup that is gold encrusted and jewel encrusted, and he drinks. The water out of that, and it is the wrong choice, as the knight tells him, that is guarding the Holy Grail, Sepulchre. It is the wrong choice, and he ends up rapidly aging instead of living forever. He thinks he's going to live forever and that it's going to grant him immortality. He ends up aging very, very rapidly before your eyes on the movie screen, and he dies. He dies a gory, gruesome death. Now, Indiana, meanwhile, he takes the humble wooden cup or the tarnished cup that doesn't look all that fancy it's a humble cup and he scoops up the water he wants to save his father from dying from a gunshot wound that was supposed to prompt him to go and get this holy grail get through the booby traps using his father's diligent notes and that ends up saving indiana jones's father played by sean connery by the way the late sean connery that right there i think is a picture of what has been happening with our foreign policy and with our national government, with our state government for decades. We have been choosing the gold-encrusted cup, but it is not a cup marked by humility. All of the claims that this is exactly the kind of policy, exactly the kind of uh, line of attack for dealing with problems that Christ would have advocated or would have approved or does approve, all of that talk is actually a cover for hubris. You have very hubristic people who overestimate their own ability to figure out everything and to make decisions for the collective good, and they think that they know better than the collective knowledge and wisdom and expertise of an entire nation, our nation. So when Americans voted for Donald Trump and the idea of Make America Great Again, these hubristic people, elites felt an existential crisis coming on. They felt that their power to promote themselves was slipping away. This is what they've built their entire identity around. And so you attacking their foreign policy schemes is an attack on their identity. This is what they went to school for. This is what they've been telling all of their friends at fancy dinner parties for their entire life, that this is the good thing that we ought to do. And they're going to do it. And they get Pats on the back, they get kudos for it. And meanwhile, it is folly. Their foolish hearts are darkened because they have become wise in their own eyes. They think they're very smart, they think they're too cool for school in the sense of being students of history, students of the traditions which were passed down to us. Now, Edmund Burke has a lot to say about this kind of hubris in his political writings. Now, he wrote concurrent with the French Revolution, and the French Revolution was marked by a similar hubris. He was very critical of the idea that the people who are hoisting this revolution on France, and by extension, probably the rest of Western Europe, that these people actually are so much more virtuous and so much more wise than the previous Rulers of France. Now, the previous rulers of France had their own problems, and so that is what gets focused on when the case is being made that you should empower the revolutionaries. You should empower Robespierre, that you should give all of this power over life and death, and good and evil, and identity, and who gets the food, and in what quantities, and who lives in what house, and who lives and who dies you should give all of that power to the Robespierres and to these councils of angry people who, at the end of the day, may just be every bit as greedy or more than the long line of aristocrats and royals who were governing your country, you think, very poorly. How did that work out for France? Well, Edmund Burke writes that it didn't work out so great and that it was hubris. It was hubris on the part of these people to think that they did not need to learn from the lessons of history, the lessons of tradition, that they didn't need to be good stewards of the tradition that had been handed down to them in any way, shape, or form. Thomas Paine, meanwhile, was very hubristic to the extent that he dismissed all of Christianity, which in England, in the British Isles, in Europe, was the worldview of choice when he first began writing The Age of Reason, he dismissed all of that as a lot of superstition, as a lot of nonsense, and basically elevated human reason, and by human reason we should understand his own reason, his own intellectual faculties, to the point that nothing was as important, nothing was as sacrosanct Nothing was as trustworthy as his own mental faculties, and everything was going to have to prove to him satisfactorily that it was good and right before he was going to believe it or act accordingly. The folly with this is that it basically rejects God as God, and it elevates ourselves as God. For all of the talk that we don't want theocracies, and we don't want a rule of the priests, and we don't want somebody sitting up on high and deciding which denominations we're going to persecute now because their denomination has preeminence. That's not the question at stake here in America. The question really is whether there is a God at all. We have it on our currency. We have it on our national, civil, state, uh, government buildings. We have it everywhere, this idea that we were inspired by, and that we were reverent of God's word. And that that helped to inform our understanding of human nature, that helped to inform the idea that we should constrain and limit the centralized government, because you don't want to give too much power to any one person. But you have, in the case of the Chinese Communist Party, a very different tradition. They don't have George Washington to look to as a forefather. They have Mao Zedong. And Mao Zedong was an absolute egomaniac. He was an evil, evil man who enjoyed the sadistic pleasure of watching his countrymen murder and brutalize one another. Because he knew that that actually meant he was the powerful guy. He was orchestrating all this. Even if his orchestrations in the short term, the medium term for his whole entire life resulted in massive suffering, incalculable human depravity. Being hoisted on his people, so long as at the end of the day he was living high on the hog, he was being pampered, he was feeling his own ego stroked by the fact that everything was going according to his plan. That's all that really mattered to him. Stalin was a very similar character in the Soviet Union, and unfortunately, alarmingly, horrifically, The left in America likes Stalin and Mao more and better than they like their Republican neighbors. They love the communists, and they hate the founding fathers. And for decades now, we've had socialists and communists infiltrating our schools and universities and our corporations and our government, telling us in so many ways that no, you can't resist this, and no, you can't argue against this. And no, you can't say that. And no, you can't do that. And you're evil. You're evil if you're not going to give us exactly what we want, if you're not going to flatter our pride like we want you to and like our heroes in communist countries have their egos flattered. And so what they want is even if China is infiltrating this country, even if they've planted 1.95 million communist party members, around the world including in american companies and corporations even if lebron james giving a pass to the chinese communist atrocities against ethnic minorities the the literal systemic racial oppression that is going on in china is okay with him but he wants to make much of america being this evil empire because 150 years ago, somebody was enslaved. The left in this country will celebrate LeBron James choosing China over America because what they really want is they want to have their sense of being better than the world, being the academic elite, being the intellectual elite, and ultimately getting a pat on the back. They want to have that flattered more than anything. That is what's most important to them. So we'll see, we'll see if a combination of hubris on the part of leftists who love the Communist Party, regardless of what it does, because the ends justify the means, who hate traditional American values predicated on the ideas of Athens and Jerusalem, they hate that tradition. No matter what good it does, and they love the communist tradition, no matter what evil it does. Let us hope that there is still enough courage and enough moral clarity and enough wisdom that we've not become so wise in our own eyes that we are completely lost in this situation, because it may well be, if something is not done about this in earnest, that the world falls under the control of China in very short order. We've been playing checkers and thinking ourselves very clever. They've been playing not even just chess. They've been playing the game Go, which we don't even know. We don't even know the the game Go and what an important thing that that's been in Chinese political and military tradition. We should start paying attention to the kinds of games that they're playing and have been playing. And we need to recognize this is an existential threat. Now, it could be existential threat or no, Sometimes countries commit suicide, and they lose any and all self-respect, and they lose all confidence in the ideals which made them great initially, and that might be our situation. That might just be our time. I pray not, because I live here, and my wife and my children live here, and the people that I care about live here, and even the people that are so hubristically in love with the left, I care about them too, and I don't want to see this happen to them. So we'll see. The Electoral College meets today. We'll see what they come up with and i hope and i pray that it is wisdom and that they fulfill the ideal of government that we read about in Romans 13 where governing authorities are ministers of god to punish the evil doer and to reward those who do good we don't want a governing authority that punishes those who do good and rewards those who do evil so anyway Tune in tomorrow, and we will be talking about this some more. We'll see how it goes, how it plays out today. In the meantime, thanks for listening, and God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you heard today, visit the homepage for On The Rock's blog at onthe.rocks. Also, check out On The Rock's blog podcast with Micah Hirschberger weekly on Anchor FM. If you haven't yet done so, hit subscribe to this podcast also. And you can reach Garrett Ashley Mullet with any comments, questions, or complaints at Garrettmullett at gmail.com.